Hi, my name is Tara Rosling. I play President Trina on Star Trek Discovery, and you're listening to Trek Untold. And welcome to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. Star Trek is all about the future that we strive to be. And with Star Trek Discovery, it's basically the future of the future. It's very timey-wimey. This week, we're taking a trip to the unified Vulcan and Romulan homeworld as we chat with President Tarina from Star Trek Discovery, Tara Rosling. You've seen Tara in Seasons 3 and 4 of Discovery, first appearing in Unification Part 3 and through many episodes of the fourth season dealing with the threat of Species 10C, and we will surely be seeing more of her for seasons to come, especially with the budding romance between her and Saru. Beyond Star Trek, you can find Tara in Impulse, The Expanse, Murdoch Mysteries, The Dresden Files, The War Next Door, and much more, including some things we're going to chat about today. Tara's also spent a good amount of her career on stage in her home country of Canada, so we're going to get to the bottom of her work there and dig deep into the methods she uses to perform some of her most significant roles, as well as learning how that has affected her work on Star Trek. There's one role in particular that we talked about that I never knew about that clearly had a lot of influence on how she plays President Tarina, so you're going to like hearing that story. Tara is a truly lovely person with a legitimate acting pedigree, and she was definitely one of my favorite people to chat with while recording this current season of the show. I hope you enjoy hearing her stories as much as I did. And without further ado, let's discover the actress behind those Vulcan ears, Tara Rosling. But before we begin this week's episode, I want to remind you to follow Trek Untold on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Trek Untold, all one word. You can get show updates, check out some fun memes, and let me know what you think about what's going on with the current events in the Star Trek universe. You can also support this show directly on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekuntold, where you can support this show for as little as $2 a month. At higher tiers, you can listen to the shows before they come out, know about my guests well in advance, and even have a chance to ask them questions, get transcripts of these episodes to make sure you get all the info, and more benefits coming soon, including watch parties and live streams. But that's all dependent on more fans like you coming over and letting me know you want to be a part of events like that. If you want some Trek Untold merchandise, check out our store for gear and apparel, including shirts, hats, stickers, water bottles, notebooks, and a whole lot more. New designs will be added throughout the year, so it's always worth taking a peek. Trek Untold also has an Amazon shop where you can peruse everything Star Trek, sci-fi, and geeky on Amazon in one convenient location. If you're looking for a gift for the Trekkie in your life, or maybe you want to see some of my favorite non-Star Trek things that you can get for yourself, check out the link for my Amazon shop in the show notes on the audio version and in the description below this video on YouTube. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other audio platforms that allow for ratings and reviews, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review to help out this show. If you're watching it on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to us at youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday and give the video a thumbs up and a comment. All of these things help more people find this show and to continue growing and bringing you awesome guests each and every week. Now, without further ado, let's beam in this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold, and now joining us all the way, well, not from the 32nd century this time. Uh, she's taken off the pointy ears for us today, but we are joined by Tara Rosling. Tara, how are you today? I'm very, I'm very well, Matthew. Thank you very much. 
Thank you so much for being here and chatting with us today. Uh, I know Navarre is quite far away from where we're doing this interview, but it was uh, a big trip. It was a big trip. Yeah. <laughs> and boy, are your arms tired, right? Is that the joke next? <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a big flap, but no, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Oh, well, well thanks so much. And uh, you know, I want to start things off here, Tara, just by asking you the first what I ask all my guests, and that would be, what is your earliest memory of Star Trek? Did you grow up watching the series? No, I didn't. Um, in fact, you know what? I was exposed to very little television as a child. Huh. Um, my mom was, uh, she was a bit of a hippie and we, we had a fairly nomadic um, lifestyle. And um, I have a very vivid memory of us getting our first TV. It was like a 13 inch black and white portable television when I was maybe eight or nine years old, but up until then we hadn't had a television in our home and Star Trek wasn't uh, something that I watched frequently. I was, I, I watched like Love Boat, Fantasy Island, <laughs> but, um, but I remember seeing the original series and, and, and quite enjoying it. It was, it was fantastic. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, you kind of alluded to a few things here, which is perfect for my follow-up question, which is, Tara, uh, can you tell us where you were born, who your parents mm-hmm. were, and what little Tara Rosling wanted to be when she grew up? Ah, I was born in Seattle, Washington. My father uh, was with the Navy for a while, and then he was a shipbuilder, I believe. I actually didn't know my father very well. My mom walked out the door uh, when I was two, and I had very little contact with him. And my mother has had... I guess she's had many occupations, um, but she she's currently a music therapist. But she would I mean, I grew up in a household which um, very much encouraged the arts. So I didn't have to you know, I didn't have to battle my mother to pursue what I fell in love with. She 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 actually when I went to university because I grew up in Vancouver, um, my mom would fly across the country um, to, to Toronto to see me in all my plays at university <laughs> numerous times. So she was, she was a, a devout follower. Um, so that's what, that's what they did. And, and then, sorry, what was the second part of the question? What, what did little Tara want to do when she grew yeah, up? What, 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 I mean, you mentioned your, your parents were very supportive of you in the arts, but I mean, is yeah. that what you wanted to be as a kid? Did you see yourself even as a kid being an actress? You know, or a I was one of those kids that like, you know, one day you'd want to be a teacher and the next day you'd want to be, I don't know, we'd play librarian and we'd check books <laughs> in and out and all that jazz. But, you know, I fell in love with acting very young. I fell in love with acting at 13 and I knew that's what I wanted to do. So it was, um, it was actually a, uh, a gift from my mom and my grandmother um, to to do an acting class, and I had a really wonderful teacher who who deeply inspired me, and I got the bug, and it was like this is this is it, this is what I'm gonna do, yeah. So now, once you get out of high school, let's say, I, mean, I assume you're doing a lot of like performances in high school, right, and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, um, I did go to yeah. There wasn't a lot I could do in elementary school, but I did audition for um, it was a, it was a high school across the city of Vancouver, so I had to commute, and they had a special drama program, and uh, for grades eleven and twelve, um, we did plays and we did theater festivals, and yeah, so we did all that. Um, but then it wasn't until like, then I, I left, I left Vancouver at 17 to go to university in Toronto. And I studied, that's where I studied drama acting. Um, and then when I got out of, of school, it took me a long time for anybody to hire me. Like it was a standard cliche of, I was a very good waitress in downtown Toronto. And, uh, I would, I would, um, you know, do theater for free until, until somebody actually hired me, which was, you know, probably my late twenties when I started working professionally as an actor. 
Well, I want to ask you a little bit about your time in university uh, in Toronto. And by the way, just because I don't really know Canadian schools, but is, is it like the University of Toronto or is there like a proper uh, other name for it? No, there's, there is U of T. So okay. U of, University of Toronto is mostly based in downtown Toronto. I went to York University, which is north of the city. It's probably like one of the ugliest places you can imagine. <laughs> I got there from Vancouver, which is quite insanely beautiful, right? With the ocean and the mountains. And, and I thought it sounded very prestigious and I, you know, that there'd be like leather chairs and fire places like York sounds pretty you know and I got there and I wanted to cry it was it's like um it's just I call it the armpit of Toronto like it's it's just uh, like suburban nowhere and I think that campus was originally intended for California so there's like these crazy wind tunnels in the winter which are (laughs) really really fierce and yeah but the drama program was really well respected and uh, and I had some good teachers and and um, very much enjoyed my education there. But the the bonus of going there was one of my professors was very well linked with an agent in Toronto. So I got out of school and had representation right away, which was a, you know, a major bonus. Yeah, that's a pretty huge deal to get right out of school and have that because I know there's a lot of actors who are probably struggling nowadays who don't even have representation. So that's huge. Yeah. I think particularly now it's really, really hard because um, with the pandemic, um, yeah, there's just less work. So it's very tricky to get representation right now. So, right, we're talking about now Tara being a waitress and she's working, trying to find herself an acting gig. So (laughs) what is that very first gig that you land that you tell your boss, hey, I got to take my shift off. So have someone else handle the hash browns. What what was that very first pro (laughs) gig for you? Um. I think the first substantial one was I was basically a glorified extra on a on a Hugh Grant and Sarah Jessica Parker film. Um, I'm blanking on the name. Was it called Extreme Measures? That might be something else. I think that was anyway. And so um, because I had enough enough work on that particular project, um, it gave me enough money to produce my own play. So I produced with the I produced a one woman show um, that was written by a Toronto playwright. Uh, and like, I made the posters, I took, I made, I took all the bookings, I blah, blah, blah. And, and, and somehow that after doing that play, people started hiring me in theater. I mean, prior to that, I'd already worked a little bit in film and TV. So, but, but it was really trying to get my foothold into the, into the world of theater. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that happened in my late, probably when I was 28, 29. So what was that first experience like, if you remember it? And by the way, it was Extreme Measures. I just checked that out. Oh, it was Extreme Measures. Okay. Got it right. <laughs> I should remember these things. It's terrible. It was awesome. Like we were, we, you know, we were in our scrubs. There was a whole bunch of us uh, actually in the ER room. I know there was trauma. Like I think it was when Hugh Grant, it was the whole, um, the scandal with Hugh Grant. And um, so like we didn't spend a lot of time chatting with the stars or anything, but the 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 number of us that were the extras... I mean, we weren't, we weren't, our, our, our job wasn't defined as extras we had, you know, but um, that's what it felt like. We had a great time. It was, it was a really fun job. So around this time, was your goal to be a working theater performer or did you want to be on screen or were you hoping to balance the two? I mean, I think ultimately we all, we hope to balance the two. Theater has been my um, I've worked predominantly in theater and certainly my training was geared towards the stage. Um, and I do love being on stage. It's a, as you know, it's a completely different medium and, and it's, it's the actor's medium, but if you can do both, that's, that's a major, a major gift. Like one is substantially more lucrative than the other. 
Um, but it's very difficult to balance the two worlds because I was just talking to somebody about this today. The theater books about a year in advance and film and TV kind of books the week before. <laughs> if you get that much lead time, like, like you know, it, it, the world of film and TV, well, particularly TV, it just happens so quickly. And um, so what I found myself doing was if I was working in theater, then I'd have like the Shaw Festival here where I live in Niagara-on-the-Lake, you're generally employed for eight months of the year. Like it's a really, it's a really lovely gig. So you'd be, you'd go into rehearsals in March and you'd perform through the, su the summer into the fall. And then you'd use the off time to audition for film and TV. But for something like Star Trek, which has been such a, an incredible gift for me, um, it's impossible to work the theater world around Star Trek because the, the, the Star Trek, the season is at, we've been shooting at a different time every year. So it, it doesn't fit into the Shaw Festival schedule. So, you know, um, yeah, it's just hard to, to, to balance both, but I think um, most actors enjoy working in both, the, the challenge of both worlds. And I think, you know, strangely, this is a segue, but I think that the theater training and the, and the, and the world of working on the stage lends itself really well to the world of Star Trek. It's I find it very, um, you know, for lack of a better word, operatic, where you need to have control of the text and stand and and deliver these 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 big ideas with with real conviction. So but that that's just a segue. Sorry. Sorry, Matthew. Oh, no, it's not at all a problem. And you know, I, I do have to say to your, your experiences with, you know, talking about how theater works versus how the TV industry works. Uh, you know, it's it's a shared sentiment. We've heard this a lot of times on the show before mm. as well. So it's, mm. you know, they are two very different beasts, but you are correct. And we're going to talk about that in, in a little bit still and jump into the Star Trek discussion. But, you know, I've talked to a lot of folks who have done theater work and they transition really wonderfully into Star Trek, especially mm. If they're portraying aliens, but we're, we're going to come back to that point. Mm -hmm. But I do want to actually spend a little more time on your theater stuff because, you know, when I do research for these podcasts, it's really easy for me to look at my MDB and then just like start watching things on YouTube or HBO Max or wherever something might be. But in your case, a lot of your career has been the theater. So it's been hard to find that, hard to track that down mm -hmm. and hard to see those performances that are probably uh, like, very crucial right. to who you are as a performer. So yeah. uh, I mean, if you don't mind, just for our audience who might not be as familiar with your theatrical work, can you just run down... A few of, uh, I don't want to say like key roles, but some of your, your favorite roles that you've performed uh, in your home country. And uh, I guess, what, what stood out to you? What, what did you learn from those roles? Um, well, it's all, it's always a learning curve. Acting is always a learning curve. It's something we very much learn practically, right? But um, some of the, some of the pivotal, like one of my first big gigs was I played violin 12th night at the Stratford Festival, which is the other very big um, repertory theater festival in, in Canada. So there's the, the, the Stratford Festival of Canada and the Shaw Festival, and those are the two big reps. Um, and that was a, that was a really big gig for me. Um, uh, and Viola, I mean, that was my first time performing live performing in like I'd done smaller productions of Shakespeare but it, it, on, on a on a, um, a stage of that size like the festival stage at the Stratford Festival is 1800 seats <laughs> so it's like it's a big theater um and that was a very she's she's such a lovely I don't know if you're familiar with Twelfth Night or um but she's a really lovely character uh, I never felt that I fully nailed that part but I certainly very much enjoyed the the production um, and some if you want of the understood, ones, I think we, we've talked, she talked about 12th night a few other times. I think fact, when, I, when I spoke with Armin Sherman, we talked about 12th night. Is that being like kind of a challenging, uh, play to put on? I've heard about it. Is that, yeah, well, 
there i mean all of all of shakespeare's plays are they're just so epic right there's there's such big and there's so many there's multiple storylines there's so many characters um so you know you need you need a, a a theater really that has the resources that that stratford does to put on those plays because they're really expensive <laughs> like Experience i think our cheap. cost was 30 might have been more and you know they they build your costumes just like star trek they build your costumes for you like they're stunning and there's beautiful sets and you know but i don't know if it's one of his trickier plays to perform per se like it's not considered one of the problem plays but uh all of his plays are epic like they're just they're of a grandiose nature um at the shaw festival Certainly one of my my biggest parts uh was St. Joan. I got to play St. Joan. Um and and uh um yeah, that's just such a that's just an an exquisite gift to be to be offered. Um it, it was it was uh um an exhausting task cuz mm. she's so she's so, you know, um she's so ferocious in her convictions. Um and um the amount of energy it costs her to persuade everybody to do what she thinks they need to do. But I, I love doing that. And we actually took that, that production to Chicago. Um, what else? Eliza Doolittle in, uh, in, in my fair lady. Uh, I think, well, the play's called Pygmalion, the musical is called um, what else? Um, there's been all kinds. I mean, I I've been very, very lucky at the Shaw festival to have been given uh, a substantial number of, gorgeous parts to play um you know that's there's there's and that was under a certain artistic director that was under the the leadership of Jackie Maxwell who who was very much um you know she she was an advocate for for female playwrights for female directors for women's stories you know and I was lucky enough to be at the festival during her during her tenure so uh and was given like as I said exquisite opportunities um, we're now under a new artistic directorship, but it's gone in a slightly different direction. Um, but mostly during Tim Carroll's time at the helm, I've been doing like for the past three years, I haven't been at the festival. So, um, you know, and I, those are the two big companies I've worked at. I've also done lots of work at indie, independent theaters in Toronto and, uh, but not really outside of, not really outside of Ontario. That's been where I've done most of my stage work. Yeah. So what experience do you prefer then? Do you prefer being really on stage or on screen? I mean, if you could only do one, what would it be? If I could only do one, it would be stage probably. Yeah. Why is that? What's the reason for stage being the one? Well, I think it also speaks to the roles that I've been given to play. So, so you're, you're given this incredible arc as a character. And once you step on the stage, it's your, it's your journey. Nobody else cut. You don't go back. You don't sit around for like half an hour waiting for the lighting to change or then, you know, and so it's very much the actor's medium where, and it's different every single, I mean, with, with camera, it's different every time too. Hopefully every take is fresh and every take is new and you know, you're, you're playing something different, but um, every single night on the stage is a different journey because you have a different audience and because you are slightly different on that evening or that for that matinee. And so it's just, um, um, 
I don't know. It's a, it's a, like a two hour, three hour ride where, where you just have to, you, you just ride the wave. And, and sometimes you'll come off stage and go, Oh my God, I quit. I'm terrible. And other days you'll come off stage and go, wow, that was amazing. Like I, I, now I remember why I do what I do. Um, but there's just something about the live theater experience, the live engagement with the audience and, 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 and performing in the moment. And you know, what's funny is that sometimes I forget when I'm doing camera work that I can stop and restart. So I'm like, <laughs> if I screw up a line, because most of those actors have been doing, they've been working in front of the camera for so long. If they flub a line, they'll stop. And then they'll say, if I flub a line, like they'll just, they'll just repeat it, right? And I'm like, oh shit. Okay, sorry, can we, can, like, I, I forget that, I forget that I, that it, that, that I, it, that world has that capacity. I still think that I'm in live theater mode all the yeah. time. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> that's, that's a really cool thing. I guess that's probably what attracts a lot of people to the theater is the fact that it is a conversation, not only with your scene partner, but also with the audience and the energy that they're giving you. And it sounds like you really like to have that conversation with the entire, whoever's around you, essentially. Yeah, yeah, it's a real, it's a, it's a, well, you know, I've come, I've compared it to communion, like, like, it's, it's a very close thing to, I'm not, I'm not a religious person by nature, like, I, you know, I believe in, in that there's, um, that there's energy and there, there's, but I'm not, I, I don't believe in God per se. Um, but, but I think that theater is the closest thing that I've encountered to communion where, where everybody is, um, um, yeah, it's just this 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 incredible uh, thing where everybody's focused. Everybody's focus is is mm, intertwined in that moment. Everybody's meeting in that moment. Uh, I don't know how it's uh, how it's to articulate it, but you know, and it isn't always that you can go to the theater and it's a, like you come out and go, oh my god, that's three hours of my life. I want it back, <laughs> and I and I've had those experiences, right? But when it's good, it's really really sweet. But then, you know, you don't get to do things that you get to do in front of a camera. <laughs> like, you know, like in Star Trek, I have these amazing ears and I'm in outer space. And it's, <laughs> and, and there's all kinds of wonderful special, like, you know, it's, they're just, they're very different worlds. And I think the, the world of film and TV has great allure to it. Like it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very mysterious world. Mm. To kind of dig a little bit deeper on that point, because I really liked what you just said about how you feel like it's like a communion with something, I guess, bigger than us, if you will. So to kind of break that down a little bit further, would you say like when you're performing on stage or even if you're performing in front of a camera, for you, is it more of a meditation where it's very much an internal kind of thing, an internal sensation, or is it like a testimony that you're sharing with the world? Is it more intrinsic or external for you? And, and, and what is the conversation that happens? How much of it is within you versus how much of it is with everyone around you? Well, I think it's the meeting point of everybody like ideally right I'm speaking in idealistic terms again like you know you can get out there and decide that you're just going to say your lines the way you've said them before and you know and and get through the show because you're having a shitty day and whatever or you can be out there and really listening and really connecting and and because you hear something slightly different you, your your next line comes out slightly different and you're actually uh, in the performance space, doing the thing in the present moment, which is the magic. That's when the magic happens. But I think I would say that acting is more a meditation because of the focus required. Hmm. I think there's a real specificity of focus that is required when one is performing. Um, and, and to 
to, and this is, I found this is very applicable to Trina in terms of med- meditate. Like she's, you know, her, her focus, her, um, anyway, she's a, such a highly refined mind, right? Or Vulcans have such highly, um, but um, it, and, it also depends on the genre. Like if you're doing a farce or you're doing like some kind of play, it becomes very presentational, right? So it's then that way you're acting out. But I, I, I would compare it more to, to meditative. Um, yeah. If that answers your question. I think so. I know that's a really crazy out there kind of question. No, I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand it. It, it, It's a really cool question. And I, and and I'm, yeah. Yeah. We might not even have the answers for it today, but something, you know, I guess for us to consider too, because the art of acting itself, it's such a broad spectrum of ways you can perform and, and the ways you can express yourself and for whom you're expressing yourself to, whether it's for you to express yeah. something that you have, do you want to get out of you? Or if you're expressing it solely for the purpose of the people sitting there watching you. So it can really be, yeah. I guess, any kind of answer on any given day. Yeah. And I think different actors work in different ways as well. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So to kind of knock this highbrow conversation down a few pegs, I'm going to have to ask about some other weird stuff now on your resume. Uh, okay. <laughs> and, and I'm not going to ask about Puppets Who Kill, even though I did find that. I don't want to that's a whole other uh, can of worms puppets who kill me for a different tell uh, different day but uh you do have a sort of weird star trek connection early on your resume and that was when you did an episode of tech war back in 96 uh, that was uh, my first so the weird thing and i don't know you probably know this but the weird thing in tv is that you have to get like three professional credits before you get your union card yep and i think tech war was the one that got me my union card so i did i had like one line on Oh, I'm not even going to remember the name of the shows. But, you know, when you're starting out, you just want to do anything. Just just please hire me. And Tech War, they took a really big risk because they offered me quite a substantial part and I didn't have my union card yet. Um, but, yes, people have spoke to me about this connection before. And I do know, unfortunately, that you didn't share the screen with Shatner because uh, I did I did find the episode. So, yeah, I do my homework. Uh, but, you, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, no, no time spent with Shatner on screen. But, I mean, did you get to bask in the glow of, of Shatner at any point off, sta- off camera? No, no, we didn't. We didn't cross paths at all. Yeah. Well, how was your experience overall being that kind of show? Because I imagine that was probably like your first time doing a sci-fi show too, right? It was my first time doing sci-fi. I think I was pretty nervous because it was, you know, pretty, it was, it was a relatively big part. It takes you a long time to learn the ropes of the set. Like it's a, it's, it's its own entity. And um, yeah, so but I, I, I'm trying to remember who played my father in that. I really enjoyed working with him. And overall, it was a very enjoyable experience. Absolutely. I'm, you know, I'm terrible. It, it really was about three lifetimes ago that I did that. And I should, like, if you talk to Doug Jones, he remembers everything. I'm so <laughs> jealous. He's like, when I played this part on this show with this person, like, 30 years ago, you know, <laughs> How do you do that? Um, so I, sh- I should I should remember the name of the actor that played my father, but I, I'm ashamed to say that I don't. Well, it's all right. I mean, like I said, it is a lifetime ago, and it was Tech Wars. So, I mean, no one remembers Tech War but me, so this is fine. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you're alone, actually. <laughs> but, you know, on the topic of something also obscure and nerdy, I was shocked to discover that you are technically part of the Marvel Universe because you were the voice of Nova on the Silver Surfer animated series. And yeah. uh, I, I remember watching that show as a kid and just, again, trying to find clips of that on YouTube. I was like, wow, this is really cool. So um, as far as I can tell in your resume, it looks like you didn't do a lot of your work. Uh, but I'm curious, you know, like what your experience was like working on an animated series, if you like that role and uh, why that didn't come more of an avenue for you. Yeah, I don't know. I really enjoy doing vo- voice work. Um, 
it's 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 super fun to be in the booth and and to not have to care what you look like and um you know just to play around until you get the take that you want like you could be there in your pajamas and you know like it's all um so I I I really enjoy playing Nova um I don't know why that that world didn't develop more for me um I've never done like a voice demo these days you kind of have to have a voice demo um, and I, I haven't done any workshops in that world either. Perhaps if I pursued it more, you know, more aggressively, it would come to fr- fruition for me. But um, I don't know why. Like, I'd be happy to do more. Every once in a while, like at my agency, I have my my acting agent. And then there is also a voice agent. And every once in a while, he'll say, can you do a, you know, can you tape yourself for this this advertisement or this uh, audiobook or, but I never booked the darn thing. So. <laughs> yeah. And I do want to add to it. It's not like an accusatory kind of thing. Like, you know, why aren't you doing more VO or whatever? Yeah, it's more just like, yeah. like, it was, yeah, you know, it, it was a really good role. So, I mean, I, I thought you yeah, did some yeah, excellent no, work. It was, and... it was a delight and, um, and really, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a really fun challenge to work in that world of animation because the, there's a different energy level to it. Right. Yeah, to, to, to match that. But um, no, I'd be happy to do more. Yeah. I do have one other thing that I was like really surprised to see on the resume too that made me excited. Uh, and that was uh, that you did a remake of The Taking of Pelham 123. Oh, and I'm yeah. a fan of the original. And yeah. I did not know that this version existed until I was looking through your resume. And like, ah. I, yeah, I looked at the, the list of the who was performing this thing. And I mean, it's it's a heck of a list. I mean, you're working with Edward James Almos, Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, yeah. Lorraine Bracco, Richard Schiff, uh, Donnie Wahlberg will throw in too. Why not? Yeah. Uh, and, and a really accomplished character actor too, Kenneth Walsh. Or is in, uh, Kenneth yeah. Welsh is in that rather. Um, it's a great cast. It seemed like yeah. a great movie. Uh, I, it's a little hard to find these days, but I'd love to hear what you remember of being a part of that film and working with some of those folks. Oh, it was awesome. Like that whole, that whole experience was, was really wonderful. The director, you're going to tell me his name. Cause he was, he was beautiful to work with. He was a lot of fun. I remember he had a, like a portable jukebox. And of course we shot a lot of it in um like a ghost subway station. So downtown Toronto, there's this old subway station that's no longer being used. And we'd be, you know, underground for great, great swaths of time and he'd have his portable jukebox so he could like play tunes in between takes uh, um do you that have director any... was felix enriquez alcala yeah he was lovely so when i auditioned for that i they I, they auditioned me for a tiny part and they kept bringing me back until finally i don't even think i auditioned for my character is mr brown right yep mr brown yeah yep. because i don't even think i auditioned and then my agent called and said they've they've cast you as one of the four one of the four um, thugs, one of the four, the four train robbers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was super fun. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think at one point I had to swing around like an, uh, an AK 47 or something, having no idea. And I look about 12 years old. Have you seen any pictures of me? <laughs> like I've I got, couldn't like, find much at all. I found like oh one little God. clip on YouTube. That's it. It's just like, it's this hidden gem out there. I feel like, yeah, no, I look like I'm 12. Um, <laughs> but I, I had a blast and and then it, um, Vincent D'Onofrio's manager actually took me on and I did, that's the first time I went da- down to LA for a little, for a little while. Oh. I didn't stay very long. I don't think LA is my world. I'm a, I like to ride my bike around town and <laughs> um, stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a lot of fun, that shoot. A lot of fun. You have to remind me here because I forget who's who, but does Mr. Brown survive or, or not? No, I got shot. Pretty sure I got shot. And was that you um, actually getting shot with the squibs? 
God, I can't believe I can't remember this stuff. Sorry, what was the question? And was that was that you then getting shot up with squibs for your death scene? Yeah, I did wear a squib. That's right. Yeah. How'd you like that? Was that your first time doing that? It was my first time. I don't think I've done that since, actually. Um, that's a, that's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> you never forget your first time getting squibbed up, right? No, that's this is true. This is true. Yeah. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is sponsored by Triple Fiction Productions. Celebrating 15 years in business in 2023, TFP creates 3D-printed Star Trek and sci-fi-inspired items that fit into any collection. Whether you're a cosplayer who wants a Starfleet phaser, a Bajoran tricorder, or a Klingon dagger, or a toy collector looking for that special accessory or diorama to make your figures truly stand out, Triple Fiction Productions has exactly what you need. And for you figure fanatics, that includes products that are the perfect size for Galoob, Mego, Playmates, and everything in between. All products are 3D printed in the U.S., with new designs constantly being updated on their website. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, which is a great way to save money as you build your collection. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, which is a great way to save money as you build your collection. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, where the more you order, the more discounts you receive. TFP also has a pay-what-you-want section, where clearance or misprinted items are available at a discounted price. Best of all, every product can be shipped worldwide. As a special bonus for listeners of this show, Trek Untold has a special discount code just for you. Enter UNTOLD10 at checkout for 10% off of all orders with no minimum purchase required. That's 10% off using Untold 10. To see all of their products, head to triple-fictionproductions.net. Or to stay up to date on their newest products, find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Triple Fiction Productions, where something is only impossible until it happens. Are you looking for the perfect fashion statement to show you're a geek and proud of it? Well, welcome to Geek Girls Castle, where I make fun and functional geeky clothing and accessories for every occasion. My name is Missy, and I started creating my own gear and apparel in 2015 to bring nerdy products to the geek girl population, which does include all LGBTQA+, non-binary, and POC and BIPOC folks. I couldn't find anything for us gals except t-shirts, so I decided to combine my passion for fashion with my fandoms, ranging from handmade skirts with really large pockets, travel accessories like toiletry bags, luggage tags, and zipper pouches. I also embroider nerdy items for home decor like wall hangings and hand towels, and products like keychains, bookmarks, and journal covers. Need something to carry all that in? Well, I make great bags to put all those accessories into or onto. Whether you like Star Trek, Star Wars, Doctor Who, Marvel, DC, and everything else in between, there is something for every geek girl. My website is constantly updated with new styles and fandoms, no matter what time or dimension you come from. If you'd like to browse my products or ask for something custom, visit me at geekgirlscastle.com. That's geekgirlscastle.com. All right, so Tara, let's now beam into our Star Trek discussion here. And man, we have a lot to go through here. Uh, so, you know, you are President Tarina from the 32nd century, the, the president of Navarre. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, let's just start from the very beginning of this process here. So how did you get the role? And did you know that you were auditioning for a Star Trek show when you auditioned? This is a very popular question. <laughs> um, so 
How I think I got the role might be different from how I got the role, but I will tell you, I will tell you what I know is I was working on a show at the time called Impulse. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, it was a drama that was created for YouTube Red. You heard of Impulse? Yeah. With yeah. Maddie Hasten as the lead. She was, it, it was a great show. I loved working. I played a very repressed Mennonite on it and I, it was a super fun character, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so so I just say that as a sidebar and then I'll go to, so my agent calls me, says, Tara, I've got an audition for you. It's a really tight turnaround. We need to have this submitted by tomorrow. I, I love the world I work in. It's like, here's a whole bunch of sides and we need this by tomorrow. Thank you very much. So, um, you know, so uh, I knew it was for Star Trek, although it was under a code name at that point. I think it was, oh, I don't know. There's been a few at this point. Um It'll, it might come back to me later, but it was, it, 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 you get the sides under a code name, but my agent said, and this is Star Trek, but the sides didn't say, I didn't know what species it did not say. I think it said Admiral. Um, and um, some of the text was, some of the text was uh, ac- the actually part of the script and some of it wasn't, I think it was, um, so I, you know, I did it as quickly as I could and I sent it off. And then a couple of days later, my agent called and he said, um, you've been pinned. And I, do you know this, do you know this lingo? I'm going to assume that means that they've got you up for consideration. Yeah. So they, they pick, they pick a few people and they put you on hold and they double check your dates. And he said, but I've got to tell you, Tara, there's been, there's like five women from my roster alone have been pinned for this part. Mm. So like he, he likes, he, he likes to tell me not to get my hopes up too high when these things happen. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever. And then later he calls, he said, they want you to come for a uh, prosthetics test. And I was like, oh, that's weird. What, like, do they want to know if I'm like, if I wear them okay, or if I'm like allergic or, you know, um, and I said, that's weird that because they haven't offered the part, but they want me to come in and do this test. And he said, yeah, that's what they want. So um, I, and I, dro- I had to drive into the city because I live in Niagara and Lake, which is an hour and a half outside of Toronto. So by the time I got to Toronto, he called me again. He said, you've been offered the part. It's <laughs> like, okay, great. But when we got to the read through, because generally, I mean, it used to be in house in, in person, you do a read through for every script before you go to camera. Um, when we were all sitting around this big table, um, this man came up to me and he said, hi, my name's John. I'm really happy you're here. I'm the editor on Impulse, but I'm directing this episode. (laughs) So John Dudkowski, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. I think he had, I don't know how much sway, but he was certainly, um, I think he, he was involved in at least having me read for the part. Um, and uh, yeah, he just said, like, I really love your work and, and I hope they they see what what I what I see in you. And and somehow that there's, you know, after we shot the episode, he, he said, I really hope that they that they end up um, somehow evolving this character, that this character moves forward. But, you know, th- at that point, at that point, it was a one off. At that point, it was one episode. Hmm. So um, there's a very long winded answer to your question. <laughs> Uh, not at all. Not at all. And it's curious, too, you mentioned the prosthetics tests. I wonder if that was their way of vetting you to see if you're actually going to go through with it. Maybe. You know, when you do the audition, there's a whole bunch of things you have to say in your, in your slate. You know what a slate is. Hi, yeah. my name is blah, blah, blah. I'm this tall. And then you have to say, 
I'm not allergic to latex. I can wear contacts and I'm not claustrophobic because like a lot of characters are in full, well, Saru's in full mask or he he wears contacts. So there's this litany of things that you have to go through to, um, yeah. So I'm not sure why it shook down as it did, but, uh, you know, I sit here today extremely grateful that it, that it did. Yeah, you booked it. You got the role, which is awesome. Yeah. So now you got to figure out the hard part, which is what the heck is a Vulcan and how do they work? How do they operate? So, uh, well, I don't think it was until I got the script that I learned she was a Vulcan, right? Oh, like, it's crazy. like, again, this world is so crazy. Like, this is one of the things that baffles me is, you know, I'll get it, I'll get it, uh, eight pages of sides for an audition that's due in two days and they don't give you any context. <laughs> like, that you don't know, you don't know what, like, you have to, you know, start Googling, oh, this is like sci fi or oh, this is futuristic or oh, this is based on the novel. What's the book? But you get all this stuff and you, and you just have to create, you know, by the, the skin of your teeth. You're just like, okay, I'll, I'll make, I'll, I'll make it into this and hopefully this speaks to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't think it was until I got the script that I was like, oh my God, I'm I'm a president. I'm a Vulcan. I'm um and oh my god, I have a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so go ahead. So then I had to create a Vulcan. Then I had to oh, figure I out. Not actually follow up with that. What's, what what was that turnover from the day you got that script, finding out what you're actually doing to when you had to actually do it? You know, I didn't really go down the Vulcan rabbit hole. Like I didn't kind of look to my predecessors and and go how did you play this? The only thing that I really did that for was a mind melt. Cause I was, you know, mm. there's, there's real precision to a mind melt and there's, um, uh, can you but show I us really... the right way to do that? Sorry. Can you show us the right way to do a mind melt? I don't know if I can, because there's some variations, but the one that I used was like the thumb under the chin and then the index finger kind of on the cheek. And then the, this third finger goes on the temple. So it's this, this thing. Um, but then there's ones that where this is higher, I think. And there's some, um, like there's different, there are different variations. Mm. Um, but I didn't get fired, so I must have done it okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really, I really lent on the logic. I really, and I kind of went down the path of um, like Buddhist monk. Mm. Uh, somebody that is deeply versed in um, meditation. So, so there's time and space between emotion and, and thought or what is emitted into the world. Hmm. Um, I do believe, and I could have made this up, but I do believe in the script because a lot of people have addressed the fact that Trina is, has, um, more of an emotional life than your traditional Vulcan. Um, and I do believe in the script that said she was part human. And so when I got on set, I kind of asked about that a little bit. And, and so there's, and then actually in this, in season four, she actually says to book, it's not that we don't feel emotion. It's that we've cultivated the mind. So we are able to function above the emotion. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I just really love that notion of, or or I like to think of that notion of detachment that is used in Buddhism, where where you you you, you don't attach, you you can observe observe the feeling or observe the thought, but as soon as you attach to it, then you own it and you and you become it and you play on it. But but if you can just observe it and, and allow it to go by, then hopefully you can respond freely, free free of it. So you are the empty cup, essentially. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, which, you know, we we spoke to uh, on the show not that long ago an artist named Kavita Maharaj, 
and she does paintings of Star Trek folks, and her, one of her favorites of all time is Spock. And uh, in our discussion, we talked about how she believes that Spock is a yoga master. Uh, and part of that is because of how he controls his emotions. He doesn't let his emotions control him. Yes. Uh, which I think is a pretty unique way of looking at it, but it's a very accurate, surprisingly accurate way to like look at that kind of a character. And I feel like that kind of leans into a little bit about what you're saying with your Buddhist approach to the character. Yeah. Like, can you imagine if we were all able to take a moment before responding emotionally to so many of the circumstances around us? Only, yeah. <laughs> what a different world it would be. Anyway, yeah, I really admire that ability of, of the Vulcan. Well, like I'm going to ask you a few more questions about the ins and outs of, of being present in in a minute, but I yeah. do got to follow up now about the makeup process because mm. yeah, I know for your character, I don't know if it's going to be as crazy as like, you know, Ava Blackwell as Osnolis or things like that, but you know, there's still some, some heavy work involved there. So what's a typical day for you in the makeup chair? The entire process takes about three hours. Um, so to walk you through, there's the wig cap goes on, then they send me over to prosthetics. Uh, they put on my ears, they cover my brows. Um, there's a new, there's an, I'm, oh, I'm, yeah, there's, there's it's a slightly new way uh, recently of, of doing things, but yeah. So they, they actually put a, a, uh, it's like glue. Like the ears are made out of glue and the, and the pads to cover my brows, the other brows go on. So that takes a while. And then they, they adjust the color of my skin and the color of the ears so that the, the painting process takes a while. Then they send me back to makeup. Um, then I'm, then I go back over to hair for the wig. And then I go back to prosthetics where they finally pr- place the brows, uh, according to the, where the wig sits and, so all told, I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit quicker than it, it uh, initially was, um, but they, they allot the, they allot three hours for my processing. So some mornings you get to be on set at, I don't know, 2.30 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, hopefully you get the overtime pay, right? Yes. Yeah. And hopefully you get a good nap at, at lunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of actors who have spoke to on this show who wear the heavy prosthetics, they tell me that they have like an aha moment. The first time they see themselves in the mirror, completely decked out in the outfit and the makeup. Did, did you have a similar experience? Uh, oh yeah, for sure. And I have to say that the wardrobe also contributes a great deal to like, as soon as all that comes together, absolutely. I compare Trina's wardrobe to, I find it very geisha. It's very corseted. It's very, you know, everything is, um, what's the word that I want? It's not good. Constrained, maybe? Yeah, a little bit, but not in a way where it's cut off, but it's just held together, which is, which is a kind of, again, goes back to that mind of, 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 of the practice, the, um, um, the discipline. There's mm-hmm. a great deal of discipline so that I, I, the wardrobe uh, really lends itself to that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Pointy ears and a funky little wig and a great outfit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did you find yourself getting lost in the character the first time you actually did see yourself like this? I don't think I lost myself, but I I took great pleasure in in what had been created. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, and a lot of people comment on on particularly on her wardrobe, but how how with with Trina, they felt like a lot of elements came together really beautifully. Uh, yeah. So your first appearance as this character is in the episode Unification Part 3, which is hugely important to us Trekkies. It was really cool seeing the fact that they continued the Unification storyline from TNG into Discovery. That part was awesome. Um, But, you know, let's talk about your first day working out, because that's your first episode, and it's kind of a big deal. So uh, what do you remember about your very first episode? Oh, I was terrified. 
<laughs> I was terrible. Like I was, I mean, that's the, the sweet spot is like excitement slash terror. Like that's, you know, where, um, but I was pretty, like, it's such Star Trek is such, um, it has such a legacy, right? Like it's just such, um, so stepping on the set and then playing a, a you know, a Vulcan president, um, and then, uh, you know, you get on the set and it's this wild, the, the sets are wild, what they've built. They're so beautiful. And then there's three cameras like pointing. <laughs> so it was, but my godsend was Doug Jones. My first scene was, was with Doug and he was, I mean, have you, have you met him? Have you spoken to him? Oh, I so want to get him on the show. I'm hoping uh, Cool Water Productions hear my plea. Let's get him on, yeah. please. But yeah, I, I got to talk to him. He's one of my he favorites. He is such a generous soul. Like, he is such a beautiful, you know, and, and at one point I should, I should just, well, I'll just say it now. Like, one of the things that makes Discovery such a joy and gift to work on is the entire cast and crew are, are, are really remarkable people. And like Sinequa sort of, um, not sort of, Sinequa very much um, believes that, that it's a family and she, and she speaks to that and she supports that. And she, so uh, there's just this really beautiful energy on that set. And, you know, particularly working in a pandemic, um, it could be really ugly. It's that everybody's dealing with a lot of additional stress, right? Um, it's a very special set. But then, yeah, my first day I walk on set, there's this super tall, like I've never, I don't, I don't, I've never met Doug Jones, this really tall, skinny guy with his like rubber head. And he, <laughs> and, and he just, um, he was, he welcomed me. He welcomed me. And, and, and in doing so, um, you know, some of my, my nerves were put at bay and, uh, it was a really lovely introduction. Like I could have started in in the big um in the big scene where she she's beamed aboard, where she's a hollow. Um that could have been the the introduction, and that would have been much more intimidating, I think, because you're just thrown into with a whole bunch of people. But it was just me and Doug and the director. And um yeah, so um uh he put my my fear to rest. Yeah. I, mean, I got a whole bunch of questions here about Doug too, but I actually want to ask you about Sinequa since we already brought her up as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like the the relationship between President Trina and Captain Burnham uh, it can be it can be allies, it can be complicated sometimes. There's a lot going on there, so uh, you know you've gotten to, to do a few different things with her essentially as a character. Mm-hmm. So, what's it like to play off of Sinequa? I mean, because you guys are doing all sorts of different things with these characters and their relationship together. Uh, how is she as a scene partner? How do what do you feel that she brings out of you? Uh, she's just always present. Like it's a tremendous gift that she has as an actor is that she, she shows up a hundred percent every single time, every single take. Like I, I'm sure that I'm sure the production knows, but she is such a remarkable number one, they, uh, you know, because she, she raises the bar um, and upholds it every single day. Um, so yeah, she's just always present. Uh, exceedingly, Again, like, so you go to your read through on day one and this woman comes like around the table to everyone and says, hi, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And you're like, who is that? And then you're like, that's Sinequa. <laughs> right. right? So, sorry. Captain on the deck. 
Yeah, but just like this sort of, because she's so real, because she's so genuine, because she's so present, you're just doing the work. You just show up and do the work. There's no weird vibe. There's no like weird status hierarchy thing. You know, you're not trying to access somebody who doesn't, you know, I've been on sets before where it's pretty clear that the actors don't really want to be there and they don't really want to engage with you. And, you know, they're pretty grumpy and they just kind of show up and say their lines. Or, you know, or you're doing your takes and they're, they're no longer on set, like you're just talking to a, a mat box or a, <laughs> but she's always there. And so, and so um, it allows for the best possible work that you can do. And I know you guys were also pretty sure for that season, because I always get my dates mixed up here, but I'm pretty sure season three, especially it was really a height of the pandemic. So you guys were probably following different protocols, right? I mean, do you remember? That was season four. So season, season, four more. Okay. season three was 2019. So there was okay. no. Just missed season, it, luckily. Yeah. Season four was all pandemic. So that was like, um, yeah, COVID being COVID tested three times a week. Everybody's like, there's the actors group, the crew group, the admin. So everybody was supposed to stay in their bubble. Um, you know, you rehearse with masks on the only time the masks come off when you're actually shooting. So you don't even get to rehearse with a mask off. Mm. Um, what else? Like, you know, uh, generally when you're on set part, part of the way you survive is by engaging, chatting with your, with your, you know, your, um, your fellow actors and, it didn't come to a standstill, but you're kind of in four corners of the room, right? <laughs> like everybody's social distancing. Um, yeah. So, and then of course, production was shut down a few times, whether people got COVID or whether there was a scare or so the, the, the season for season four was very, very long. I think we started shooting in October and we didn't wrap until the end of August. I, like I mentioned, I got a bunch of things about Doug Jones here, so let's just get in on into that. Okay, let's, man, get so into, I, let's get into Doug Jones. Oh, oh, don't don't tempt me. Uh, so, you know, well, I mean, on that note too, I mean, yeah, you know, let's talk about your your budding romance with your two characters here. You know, yeah. Vulcans they don't typically outwardly show emotion because, as yeah. we mentioned, they're in control of their feelings. And Saru, as a character, he's also a fairly introverted kind of Kelpian. So these two, in my opinion, though, despite all those things, they have like the best romance on the show. And I would just love to find out how you found these characters, how you were able to make these two characters fall in love the way they have and, and kind of bring that very subtle, but outright and really beautiful chemistry into your performances. Oh, what a lovely question. I don't think it was intended as a romance out the gate. Like, as I say, I think Trina was introduced in season three with no intention of really bringing her back. Doug and I have talked about this a number of times. Uh, so I think he, I think he actually mentioned to the showrunners, like, what if something happened with these characters? Um, and I think that the audience, like you, you said, how did you create chemistry? I believe that chemistry happens. I think it's hard to create it. Uh, so sometimes you'll see two actors on stage and you're like, Oh, what is that? Like, that's, they just, they, something happens between those two. So I think that the audience they saw chemistry between Saru and Trina or between Tara and Doug. Um, and then the right, like the writing room has just created this beautiful old fashioned, slow burn, sweet, old school romance, right? Like it's so lovely. Um, and that, and so we just have to show up really and say the words, you know, I think both of us, we were equally chuffed when we found out that, 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 it was going to move forward and just uh uh 
really love the sweet scenes of the like the two of them meditating together or like, the gift of plants or like it's just all so sweet right so there's there's not a whole lot we have to do except for play our characters and speak the words that have been written for us and i, I mean also i just love doug like i just I, I he's so he's so dreamy to act with he's another one he's just there so you look in his eyes and you're like oh Okay, I'm I'm like we're here in the scene. Like he's just present, right? So it's a gift. It's not all actors are like that or not all actors that I've worked with are like that. And it's a real gift when you can just arrive in a scene and 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 have your partner be completely present because it it invites you to be completely present as well. And since you're spending so much time with this budding romance with Saru and not so much Doug Jones face to face, I should say, uh, when you see Doug out of his makeup, I mean, do you actually remember that it's him, or is there like this kind of disconnect? Oh, I, I, it's it's always a surprise. Like it's always <laughs> a surprise when I see Doug, and it's always it's always a treat because he's got the sweetest face, as you know. Um, but I don't see it often enough. Like <laughs> uh, usually. By the t- yeah, but he comes into the chair. No, I'll see him when he shows up on set if we're working the same day because he his processing time is slightly less than mine. And if I'm lucky, I'll get to see him at the end of the day. Um, but one thing you should also know about Doug, I'm sure you know, he's just so incredibly funny that when you're on the prosthetics truck with him, like everybody's in stitches. Like he's just, uh, um, yeah, he's 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 so much fun to work with. So. Another segue, but I had to share. Well, it's a perfect segue. And, you know, just to kind of put a little ribbon on this particular part of the conversation here, you know, no spoilers, but uh, what do you think? Are Saru and Tarina going to go the distance in this relationship and be the 32nd century power couple? <laughs> you know, I'm not allowed to say a word. <laughs> oh, okay, oh my. <laughs> so kind of to follow up then with our, our Doug Jones I guess talk. we'll all wait with bated breath and see. <laughs> I didn't know Vulcans could be monsters, but Tara, you've proved me wrong today. <laughs> so, you know, we would talk about how, you know, Doug Jones is this amazing actor and, you know, no, no lie there. Find the lie. I can't find it. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's a guy who has his face completely hidden when he's performing on Discovery, mm-hmm. but he's mm-hmm. finding all these other ways to emote. And, you know, let's talk about President Tarina now. And basically she has kind of the opposite problem as Saru because her face is showing but she can't express emotions the same way any other Terran actor could, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to hear a little about how you find the humanity in your character, but also still remain Vulcan. Hmm. Well, I will share that they, <laughs> um, particularly when I'm working with Tunde, uh, the, the predominant direction is Vulcanize it. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll always do my take, which I think is very restrained and very Vulcan. And then he'll come, he'll come and say, okay, that was great. Now can we do another take? And, and, and I'll be like, Vulcanize it. And he'll be like, yes, yes. I want you to. Um, so, hmm. What do I, I don't know. It's just an, it's just a, again, I, I, I kind of, it's a physical sensation of moving into a mental space. Um, I, I, it's really hard, difficult for me to articulate where I find her or how I find her. Let me try rephrasing this question a little bit. Maybe yeah. it might help. Cause you know, I feel like with your character, uh, as opposed to, let's say Ethan Peck, uh, Spock right now in strange new worlds, you know, I feel like Spock is a character that he's hard to approach. Like if I was 
happen to be on the bridge of the Enterprise, and I'm just walking along and I see Spock, I'm not going to be able to say hi or have a conversation. But if I saw President Tarina, once I get past her security, uh, I would probably try to actually like, talk to her and feel like I can actually say something to her. So there's, there is something there that makes her feel a little bit more, I guess, natural and, and like open to, mm. to being, uh, to having these conversations happen, let's say. So mm. you know, is there something that you feel that, that causes that? Or is that just, just something in you? I would say that's probably an aspect of, of myself. Um, I would say that if you if you believe that, then that's probably a component of the writing as well, that there's something about the way that the character has been developed, that you find her um, a little more access, accessible or approachable. And maybe that speaks a little bit to the human aspect that I referred to earlier on, that there's just a, uh, an element of her that is, um, is it empathetic? I don't know. Is it? Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure, and I wonder. I wonder if all audience would 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 say those same things that you said. If if everybody finds her to be um, approachable uh, in terms of you know your your standard Vulcan or your traditional Vulcan, or yeah, I don't. I love the observation. Yeah, I mean, for my money, I feel like that this character is. Something about her. I mean, it might just be again, like just what you bring to it as a mm. human being and as a performer. Like there is something as far as Vulcan goes, where it's like you know, it's not the kind of uh, distanced character, if you will. Like let's say to mm. pull on uh, Enterprise. I'm not familiar with some of these characters, but mm-hmm. you know, a lot of Vulcans are typically distanced, and I think that's the word used also, a little disconnected maybe. But right. President Tarina feels very connected in the moment with the people, and she feels like she's part of it, not just doing her own Vulcan thing and her own Vulcan mind. Right. I would have to say that that's. I, I think that's maybe how, because how I approach it as an actor is that she does have the feelings, but she, but she finds a way to, um, to engage with the world around her at a, a, a by bypassing that. Hmm. And so that, that it's not that they're not there, um, but there, there's a filter. There's constantly, yeah, I it's curious. I don't know. That's the, that's, that's the mis- mysterious work of actors is like, I probably can't even tell you what's happening. It's just <laughs> my interpretation. Yeah. That's what we try and figure on the show is how to demystify <laughs> all these little secrets. Oh, yeah, no. exactly. I think the big takeaway here is that it's just a giant compliment to your abilities. So we'll oh. just we'll take it as that way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I do want to go back to a part you mentioned earlier, which was uh, you talked about in, in theater, you played St. Joan mm-hmm. and that is a character with big emotions and mm-hmm. ferocity. And then here you mm-hmm. have a character like President Trina, who is subdued in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, so something I'm curious about here is when you play a character like St. Joan, there might be some almost trauma from playing that character too that you get, or just, you know, there's so much within it that you can probably take a lot of that weight on your own shoulders. All the problems that that character has, all the things that, that character goes through, you might be putting it onto yourself. With President Trina, there is still a lot of struggle and all sorts of, you know, political intrigue, um, but a little bit different, but still, I, I guess my question is, you know, when you play the character of President Trina compared to St. Joan, what do you feel afterwards? Is it the kind of thing that where you need some time to get yourself down? Is it, you know, since it's a Vulcan, more of a feeling of tranquility, perhaps? Uh, what, what do you feel as you play this character, and especially after you play the character and you're done and you're getting out of the makeup chair? Yeah, it's definitely, I would say that that is more of a theater uh, TV comparison because okay. usually there's such an adrenaline rush that comes with performing in the theater that it does take you a, a good long while to come down. And certainly, like you know, you, you know, the, the, the generalization or the, the the stereo 
the stereotype is going to the bar afterwards for a couple of drinks to wind down after the show, right? Like that. Um, but yeah, there is, there's, there, it's a different musculature. Um, with Trina, you know, if anything, it's, it'll, it'll be coming down from a very long day on set. It'll be, mm. it'll be, but I, yeah, it's a very, it's a very different uh, emotional um, world, a very different emotional state. So um, after a day of working on, on set, um, no, I don't feel like, and, and, and partially what you just said, like you, you're sitting in the chair for half an hour afterwards. So that, that gives you time just to kind of um, let go of the day. So you're um, able to kind of compartmentalize the characters better when you're performing on TV as opposed to on the stage when it's just much I more. I guess so, but it depends too on the character. But like, okay. I will say that I find it very funny, like in terms of, because I, I talk about myself as being hyper emotional. Like I'm a, I'm a wildly emotional human being. It's just part of who I am. And I think it's so hilarious that I, that I'm cast in like, well, Trina and prior to that, this very repressed Mennonite woman, there's something, maybe it's the juxtaposition of like this huge feeling world having to be compressed and filtered through this, this, you know, n the narrow filter of logic or I, I don't, but I do find it really fascinating. Um, but yeah, there, are, I totally haven't answered your question and, and uh, <laughs> I Listen, made up a new question along answers, the way. Right? <laughs> Some, not every question has an answer. It's sometimes just a journey of figuring it out, right? So I'll take what I can get. I think it is a lot of information because, you know, I think as we've said in the show a few times and with other guests too, um, there's not always a concrete reason why something is something. Sometimes it just is. And I mean, like you're saying right now, in fact, I feel like maybe we're finding something because you're saying, you know, real life Tara is hyper emotional. And a lot of that probably does leak into the character and the way you're performing it. So even a subdued version still has all these undertones of, mm -hmm. of emoting. So mm -hmm. uh, I think that's something there. There's definitely something. We're, we're digging through the layers. This is, uh, we this is the therapy session. We're finding them. <laughs> okay, nice. I don't even have to pay for it. I know. Brilliant. Yeah. So, you know, I'd like to kind of go back to your character day one on Unification Part 3 to, let's say, now the end of Season 4. So what has been the journey for you to become that character on first day of set versus now last day where we wrapped up on season four who has she become for you well i think like overall she's just become um much richer and and m many layered you know again speaking to this world which is so crazy is you get the material you learn the material you do the audition you know you have a fitting you're on set you do the part and then it's done so that's the luxury of working in stage. You have all that rehearsal time. You have all the time in the rehearsal hall to explore the world of the play, explore the characters, explore the relationships, the dynamics. What do you want? What's the overarching journey, right? Um, you don't have that luxury in TV. So what I'm, what I'm trying to get, what I'm trying to say is that having much more time to play here through many more episodes over another season um, it just becomes richer and, 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 and fuller. That's a good answer. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so last thing now about discovery season four, uh, and I want to talk about the, basically the final, one of the final scenes I should say of the season finale. Uh, and that is when we get to meet the president of earth who is played mm -hmm. by Stacey Abrams. And that was a big mm -hmm. deal at the time. And I think people still talk about that as a pretty big moment in Star Trek history. Uh, so I'd just like to hear what your memories are of that day and, and being that close to Stacey Abrams. 
Well, I think it's different as a Canadian than an American. Probably a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but I remember like everybody was a buzz. Everybody was really, really super excited. Everybody was really jazzed. It was a wild week too because that last week of shooting, we were at the AR while working like 16, 17 hour days. And I think we shot like when Stacy arrived, It might we might have started shooting just before midnight on the last day of the shoot. (laughs) So, so you're already kind of in the state of, you know, like it's been a very wild ride the whole week. Um, And, and the AR wall is just trippy to be, to be working on to begin with. Um, And, and everybody was so jazzed that she'd been cast in the part and, and really, really excited to meet her. And she's lovely. Like she, her, her energy was so beautiful. Like I thought for somebody who, um, like I got, you know, we always imagine things from our own POV. So, so if I'm, I'm coming to, to act on a, on a, on a big show, you know, it's, it's a, it's a major cameo and, and I don't have a lot of acting experience. I think I'd be pretty nervous and she might've well been, but, but boy, was she like, she was calm. She was generous. She was genuine. She was and she's a big fan of, of Star Trek as well. So I think she was really excited to be there. So it was just um, overall, it was, uh, you know, it was very festive. It was very celebratory. Everybody was really, really excited about what was happening. Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to make it happen. But somehow this year, next year, I got to get Doug Jones and Stacey Abrams on this show. That's that's yeah. kind of the goal here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell I'll tell Doug. I'll tell Doug what Please a pleasure do. it was to speak to you. <laughs> oh, you're a wonderful liar. Thank you. <laughs> true <laughs> so, all right so tara as we kind of come to a conclusion of this episode on trek untold here a few more quick things for you uh what's gonna we're gonna make this almost like the uh, the speed round if you will so okay because i don't want to give you time to think about this one either i want you just to say it so best gig worst gig you ever had oh dear oh how can i not think about that <laughs> best gig worst i have to well star trek's up there is one of the best gigs worst gig oh worst gig worst gig worst gig Oh, hmm. That's, that's, oh, come on. No trying to make you spill thing. the tea. Oh, I'm really, what? I'm trying to make you spill the tea. Oh, man. I mean, I've been in some really bad plays. There's been some bad plays. Yeah. Where, where, yeah. Where you have to do them like a hundred times and like you're like on, you know, you've done three and you're, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, that's 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 as much as you get from me for a worst gig ever. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> How about a moment from your performing career that was, let's say, the most challenging role you've had, but then it became the most rewarding role for you? Hmm. I don't. I'd have to get back to you on that. That's a really that's a really hard question that proved that proved significantly challenging, but also significantly rewarding. Hmm. Yeah. Like I kind of have to go. I'm trying to think of shows that, I mean, I, I recently was in a play called Silence that was directed by one of my favorite directors. His name is Peter Hinton, and he's a true visionary. And and the premise was wild because the character that I played, um, she was deaf. Um, and... And, and, and there were actually deaf actors that worked on the production. And so bringing the whole thing to life was uh, very challenging. But it was probably one of the most beautiful pieces of theater that I've been in. Uh, and, and it's, you know, when it was when it was fully realized. So, but, you know, like there's been many gifts along the way that have every 
I think every everything that we take on is challenging to some degree. There's always an element that's, you know, how do I stretch myself to be a Vulcan? Like, or how do I, you know, um, and then hopefully, inevitably, you learn something from every character you play. So on a similar note, what would be the most valuable lesson you've picked up along the way, whether it be about acting or about life or maybe about something that spilled into both those two worlds? The most valuable, you're talking about the most valuable life lesson? Most valuable lesson you've learned along the way, whether it be about acting or life. I don't know. I think that changes along the way. But I'll say the most recent, most recently, like I okay. think because I'm middle-aged now, right? I think, you know, we spend so much of our youth full of ambition and um, have so many aspirations. Um, but I've come to peace with the fact that none of it goes with us. And so, and so, um, m- m- hmm, how do I, I guess the, the, the phrase that sticks to me, what sticks with me the most is I, I stumbled upon this quote that says, may I realize that loving kindness uh, as my essence. And so just to, 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 to um in reflection or in relationship with yourself and with others just to live well to live well that's my that's my latest um um yeah that's a good quote sometimes i'm not super articulate i hope (laughs) i mean i just dragged like all these real deep questions out of you for like an hour like tell me about the intrinsic elements of buddhism within your acting so i mean i think it's okay if you're a little exhausted from that yeah no i uh yeah no it's very simple but um, I think it's important. Yeah. And by the way, too, uh, you know, just to let you know, you might be middle-aged in human years, or you might consider yourself being middle-aged, but in Vulcan years, you're a baby. So don't worry oh, about that's it. That's right. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So last question, Tara, uh, what is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? Oh, well, I, I think it's something that I've already mentioned. It's all these beautiful people that I get to work with um, when I'm on set. That's That's been an extraordinary gift. All right. And of course, anybody who's listening, obviously, we didn't ask anything about Discovery Season 5 because I know better. I don't want to get sued by Paramount. I enjoy having both knees working correctly. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's been really wonderful speaking with you today, Tara, and just like hearing oh. about how the character comes together, hearing about all your experiences. And I'm very excited to see what's going to happen next for the president. And I don't even know if you know what's going to happen next for her, but uh, I cannot wait to see if that romance continues. I'm, I'm shipping it. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you and speak with you, Matthew. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold. Until next time, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trek Untold, all one word. If you'd like to directly support this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter over on patreon.com slash trekuntold, which gives you access to some great perks that can't be beat. Or pick up some merchandise from our store, or use my Amazon shop link to check out all kinds of different Star Trek merchandise. Links for all these things are in the show notes. Shout out to Triple Fiction Productions for being a key sponsor of Trek Untold. Don't forget to check them out and all of the fine folks whose ads you've seen or heard on this podcast, too. If you have any questions, feedback, or comments for the show, or would like to suggest a guest or discuss sponsorship options for any of these episodes in the future, send me a message at trekuntold at gmail.com. Special thanks to Cool Waters Productions for providing us with this week's guest. Check out inhouse-con.com for more info on upcoming events with all of their Star Trek clients and the other celebs that they work with, and head over to coolwatersprod.com to pick up autographs and more from all of them. I hope to see you here again as we uncover more untold stories from Star Trek and beyond, and get to know even more amazing people who have contributed to this ever-expanding universe. Until next time, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and remember, fortune 
favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.